Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? It's good to be here with you. Um, and welcome to you who are joining online. I saw a couple uh, voices chiming in already. So good to have you with us. And for those of you who will tune in later, welcome. It's a, it's a good Sunday Good day to be here with you. Um, just by way of reminder, announcements, we do this every Sunday. So <laughs> if, you're, um, if you're tuning in locally, we'd like to see you in person. So uh, think about that. Wednesday nights as well. Take two happens Wednesdays. Um, uh, typically, I mean, this is a new thing. So it's not typical, but it's a new thing. Sam's been doing a little bit earlier, 6.30, he opens the doors here. So if you guys want to hang out, uh, grab a snack or... Uh, drink a soda or something, and just have some time to hang out. That is some of the best part of uh, community. Uh, and then the live stream happens at 7. And Wednesday nights are also interactive. So if it's something that you're watching, tuning into, you have a question about it, if you're at home, you can just type the question on YouTube. Um, or if you're here, you can raise a hand and uh, maybe you don't have... A question, maybe you have an insight, maybe you have something that the speakers have missed and you'd like to add to the conversation, whatever it might be. It's interactive, so Wednesday nights are a good time of fellowship. And aside from that, Jordan, Tuesday night? This week? I didn't look at the calendar. <laughs> Next week. Next week, Tuesday night, is packed? That was last week. Never mind. We'll get to this next time. Uh, <laughs> next Tuesday is Art for Artists, not this Tuesday. Next Tuesday is Art for Artists. Okay. The next pact is the 31st. Gotcha. The next pact is the 31st. So that's the word from the man himself. Uh, this morning, Sam is in Hawaii. The poor guy. <laughs> um, I'll do a pastor joke, and then we'll get to it. <laughs> Uh, uh, this reminds me of a, another pastor who played hooky on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and this pastor decided that he hadn't played golf in a while, so he called in sick. And uh, he didn't want to play golf in his own town where people would know him, so he drove quite a ways uh, and played a few rounds, a few holes. And uh, when he got there, he teed off on the first hole, very first hole, and uh, gave it a whack. And 
by some miraculous means, the wind caught the ball and, uh, you know, drove it an extra 450 yards <laughs> into the hole. And in heaven, an angel looks at God and says, why did you do that? And God kind of chuckles and said, he can't tell anyone. <laughs> Dad jokes. I, I have them. Uh, Sam is actually uh, there to perform uh, or officiate a wedding for Gabe and Annette. So we want to wish them all a thousand blessings out there. It looks beautiful and I'm um, happy for you guys. Uh, today we're going to start off with a simple question. I think it's simple, but then I know it might not be. What do you see in yourself? What do you see when you think about yourself? And that's rhetorical. You don't have to raise your hands. <laughs> but I'm just giving you a moment to think about that because um, I think that there are, you know, if you're really asking in earnest, who am I? Um, what do I see when I look inside? What do I see when I look in the mirror? Oftentimes, our self-perception isn't the same as the real truth about us. Uh, and that can go in a number of different ways. Do you see an overcomer? Do you see a weak-willed person in need of strength? Do you see someone who is lacking or someone who is at peace. And I think in this exercise, a lot of people will go to one extreme or the other, right? They'll think uh, mostly positive. I think most people uh, tend to think of themselves in a positive light. But you might not. Some people definitely think of themselves as uh, horrible people. And the simple truth is, We've been told we're horrible people for a long time. Um, but we know just by the simplicity of opening Genesis chapter 1 that at our core, we are made in the image of God. At our core, that's, that's who we are. But oftentimes, uh, we see things that are not the real us. But the shadowy made-up stranger that we're going to refer to this morning as the imposter. And imposter syndrome is a real thing. It happens a lot uh, in artists, but it doesn't just happen in artists. It happens in corporate America. Uh, happens a lot with younger people and, uh, and women, actually, is what the science says. Um, imposter syndrome is this feeling that I am not adequate in who I am. The real me is not adequate. And so we spend time and we build walls and we develop the imposter who will face the world for us because we feel like we can't do that in truth. So this, this feeling of being caught or discovered or found out that's the imposter syndrome, this, this insecurity that makes us feel like a fraud or a fake. 
it gives us anxiety and we feel incompetent or underqualified. I looked at this website, it's called doyouknowfacts.com, and they did an interview with people whose kind of philosophy was fake it till you make it. You might have heard that too, or you might, you might have done that. Fake it till you make it uh, is this kind of, <laughs> this attitude, again, this is a lot of corporate America or just jobs in general, where like you don't think uh, you have the quali- qualifications for the job you have. Or, and let me read you some of the things that people said. This first person says, currently faking my job, uh, pretending that it's harder than it is. So this person is pretending that their job is harder than it is. My boss has been super impressed with my work, so I see no reason to work harder. I'm getting a set pay, so it doesn't matter. I spend six hours a day on Reddit, (laughs) and my boss tells me I'm the best worker on the project. Um... This person says, in 90 days, I faked knowing how to do my job as a temp, and then they offered me full-time work. Uh, this, person, <laughs> this person says, I had no experience operating equipment, so nobody would hire me. So I lied, and I said I had lots of experience on my resume, and I got hired to run, <laughs> to run a, a line skitter. Um, okay. This person said they, he, he tricked his coworkers into, into thinking that he was their supervisor. <laughs> and he faked it. He said it was really easy. I just wore a different color shirt. <laughs> and, um, and, the, and the best part is that he, a, a different color shirt and a keychain. That's what he said. The keys made all the difference. Uh, the funny part about this story is he says the owner of the company caught me and then promoted me to be the supervisor because they already know what you do. <laughs> but sometimes when the fake it till you make it idea uh, lands you in a role that you suddenly feel like I'm not qualified for, the imposter syndrome kicks in, and then you have quotes like this. This feeling makes me want to leave my current career and has made me contemplate going back to school and taking on a different job. Or this person who said, imposter syndrome makes me uh, try not to stand out so that no one will notice that I don't know how to do what I'm doing or that I feel inadequate in doing what I'm doing. So fake it till you make it often leads to imposter syndrome, uh, but some of these people were just downright proud of themselves for fooling everybody. On the other end of the spectrum, there is the Dunning-Kruger effect. And every time I hear the Dunning-Kruger effect, I don't know why it reminds me of Dunder Mifflin. <laughs> but it's actually perfect, because on this side of the, of the fence, this is when someone overestimates their own skills and knowledge and achievements. It's the polar opposite of the, imp- and the imposter syndrome, where you feel like, I'm not adequate. On this side, you have a guy that's probably not accurate, or he's not uh, in the right role for him. He's not uh, uh, qualified, but he thinks that he's the best at what he does. And so really what we see are are these personas, these these fake versions of people, the the overcompensating or 
that I'm just going to hide in the corner and pretend like I'm doing my job and I hope no one notices me. And so it's a very interesting thing. In the end, you know, you might not be in either camp or maybe you can look back in your life and go, I did that before or I do that sometimes. Um, maybe you don't have a shadow self that you live in fear of being discovered. And maybe you don't overestimate your competencies. And I think that uh, maybe the older you, you get, the wiser you get, the less you're worried about impressing people or worried about impressing people. Uh, either way, you worry uh, and you're more at peace with yourself. But some people go to their deathbed, never have really been known because they're faking so much of life. Do you ever see a picture of yourself and think, that's not what I look like? Who is that? <laughs> that can't be what I look like. Uh, I used to joke and say that, uh, that you know, there's a, the who wore it better photos or whatever. And I just put one up on my Facebook that's Jack Black because he's got a big beard right now. Uh, but I used to do that with Brad Pitt. <laughs> Talk about Dunder Kruger effect. Uh, but sometimes, this is where I'm going to, sometimes people find themselves dealing with a strange version of themselves in their spiritual life too. So it's not just that I'm portraying this on social media or to my coworkers or even to my family, but I'm also pretending before God because I don't think he would really like who I really am. And so, you know, maybe even more so because Christians can be judgy. I'm not calling you out, I'm just saying. Anybody, like this, this kind of comes along with the culture of the church nowadays, and it's sad that we're there. But because of that, we learn the lingo, you know, PTL, uh, whatever it might be, um, and we fake it. And so, again, we have these shallow friendships where we're not ever really fully known by the people that we do community with and maybe even try to pull the wool over God's eyes. In his book called Abba's Child, which I've read several times, and that's kind of where I think this idea comes from, uh, Brennan Manning devotes a chapter in his book to the idea of the imposter, and he says this, Craving the approbation withheld in my childhood so he's dating this all the way back to being a kid. My false self staggers into each day with an insatiable appetite for affirmation. With my cardboard facade intact, I enter a room full of people preceded by a muted trumpet. Here I am, whereas my true self, hidden with Christ and God, cries, Oh, here I am. There you are. The imposter bears a distinct resemblance to alcohol for the alcoholic. It is cunning, it's baffling, and powerful. It is insidious. When I was a kid, 
So having read what Brandon, Brennan wrote, when I was a kid, I was reflecting back on this, and I know that this is my experience, too. When I was a kid, every hurt, not physical hurt, but like kids being mean, teased, uh, teachers putting you on the spot, those embarrassing moments, the, the spotlight moments where everyone's looking at you, uh, that feeling, every social interaction that went awry, all these things as an eight-year-old or a six-year-old or a 12-year-old that you're not prepared to deal with, this is where the false persona starts. Because you start to go, if I answer that question this way, these people don't like me. Or if I talk to the teacher that way, the teacher gets upset with me. And so you start to learn how to please people. And I see this in my childhood, and I see how it affected me into adulthood, and I see how it affects me to this day. The imposter is at first a way to cope with the harshness of life. And we come to rely on this persona as a protector. And my eight-year-old imposter was tough and smart, and strong because the real me felt weak and inadequate and scared. See how this works? This is not just eight-year-old stuff. The false front we've constructed to represent us the imposter who tells us that we only can show the good. We can only show the good stuff to people. Everything we show on social media and nothing we want to keep hidden this persona, this imposter gets gussied up in his Sunday best and shows up with all smiles and sunshine even when the real you struggles to keep hope alive or just gives up on it completely. The imposter, if we have this, if we've allowed this, keeps us from having real intimacy with one another. He comes between spouses. He comes between parents and children. And if we only show the imposter to God, we set ourselves up for a life of strained relations because we are essentially trying to Cyrano de Bergerac, God, into liking us. And that's not how agape works. That's not how love works. Matthew 15, 8. These words in red. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. If anything resonates here, anything at all, you might be wondering, how do I see myself? And in light of these, you know, these stories... Am I presenting who I really am? Am I filtering some things? Sometimes filters are good. But when we bury who we are in order to be liked or receive love, and we just show 
the faker. Then I think the next question we have to ask ourselves is how does God see me? Maybe you've wondered about this. Maybe you've seen Ben's sticker that says, God believes in you. And you wonder if that's true. Maybe you're so enmeshed with your imposter that you think, like everyone else, you know, I've got them fooled, and I'm pretty sure God's fooled too. (laughs) Maybe you think that God likes you best of everyone, or least. Or maybe you don't think God likes you at all. But however this comes back, this voice is anything other than God loves you. If you hear the voice saying God doesn't love you, God doesn't like you, you still have to put this fake forward all the time so that you will be loved. That is the voice of the imposter. And at some point, you're going to have to confront that guy or that girl. Because this is what God thinks. He looks at you and sees his child. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. This verse is so beautiful, but it's even more so when you slow it down. And uh, I was able to do that this week with just like looking into the, like a more literal translation that might go like this. Because I, I always, I, when I see that verse, I think that that word received is um, I just want to know, what, what does that mean? And so when I looked up that word received, it's actually the same word that's used when the Bible says that Jesus took the bread. He took it. Took. It's not, I mean, I guess he received it, but we don't talk maybe like that, like taking it. And uh, specifically, uh, it means to take something by the hand. So let's read that. It's a, to all who took God by the hand. To them he gave the, the authority to become the children of God, the ones believing in the name of him. Took with the hand. It's the same word that is used when the Bible tells us that Peter grabbed the sword, took his sword chopped off the ear of the soldier. He took it. He, he grabbed it, right? So I think of that, like, when we say received, is this kind of a weird translation word, but almost every translation uses it. Um, but it means to take. And I love, in, in light of what we're talking about, that it, it says that he gave them the authority to become the children of God. And then this verse to me, if you read it like this, like, man, I, just, I want to grab God's hand. It's not a literal hand. He doesn't have flesh. But that, that, that longing, right, that like I just want to hold his hand is so childlike. 
kids are handsy, man. <laughs> they grab stuff all the time. And anyone, the verse says, who would want to grab the hand of God, that's, that's his kid. God sees you as his child. Romans 18, yeah, sorry, Romans 8, 16 says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our, with our spirit that we are children of God. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. 1 John 3, 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We just sang the song. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, the first word, Father, Father. Paul says in Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. Interesting word, this Abba. I've heard several different meanings of it over the years. Um, um, And I I think I've changed my mind on it over the years too. It only occurs three times in the New Testament. And it it denotes intimacy. But it also denotes... uh, uh, Devotion. So I, I heard the story of a man who was going to Tel Aviv, and uh, it's a long flight, and he said when he got off the plane, he had to hurry to the restroom. That might be TMI, but I'm telling you anyway. In there, he heard a conversation between a father and a son, uh, a father and his young son. And he said he walked in on this moment that he could tell was tender. But he could also tell that the little boy was in trouble because there was tears in his eyes and his dad looked like he might be scolding him. But he said even in the midst of it, um, you could tell that this was not just a mean dad who was yelling at his son because his Dad was on his knees, eye level. And he said to him, I don't know what was happening. I don't know, neither is this guy who told the story. But he said to his son, "When, when I ask you to do something, I want you to call me Abba. Yes, Abba. So can you imagine that? This tender moment, this trust, this is a real relationship. And he's saying, this word to me means you're devoted to me as your dad. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful way of looking at this. Typically, the word used for father in the scriptures is the word patir. It's a general term for father. It's still used. Um, but it, has, it could be father. or They could, you could use the same word to refer to as a grandfather or an ancestor. 
But used together, like it is all three times that the word Abba comes up in the New Testament, Abba Petir is a cry that says, I trust you and I'm devoted to you because you are a good dad. Now, I know, I know Sam has addressed this in the past too when he's talked about this, this kind of idea of being a child of God or um, thinking of God as father. Sometimes that might not have good connotations for everybody. Maybe you had a, a dad who abandoned your family or an abusive dad, an uninvolved dad, or maybe you just never knew your dad. But most of the time I find in lives of people who never had a father or never had a good father, I find this immense desire for them. It's, it's tricky because it's hard to trust, but they have a desire for a good father. You might find that you have an immense desire for a father who loves you without conditions, who promises never to leave you or abandon you, who is good. And that father looks at you and says, you are mine. You are my child. I am your Abba. Grab my hand. Let's do this. So when you look in the mirror or when you look inside and you say, who who am I? What do I see in myself? I want you to see that you are a child of God. And I want you to see that you are beloved of God. And Paul says this to us. And the scriptures speak of this in so many ways that I only grabbed a few. But uh, Paul says in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as beloved children. You see that this is, this is the Abba and the child in one scripture. Be devoted, be imitators of God as beloved children because that's how he sees you. Follow your daddy's lead. First Thessalonians 1.4, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. First John 4.10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. He loved us first. Ephesians 2.4 God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I think that sometimes we get this idea that God is always angry, that God is always judging, that God is like just looking for an opportunity to smite somebody. (laughs) And I think that we have to reframe it because God loves you like a good dad loves his child. So all the pretending that we've done and all the building of False selves are all the show. I mean, God sees through it. We have to know that. We might fool some people. You might fool your coworkers into thinking you're their boss. But you're not going to fool God. 
He sees you and he loves you. He sees you as his child. He sees you as his beloved. And if you have ever felt unlovable, then hear this. God sees you as his beloved. If For more context, go home and read some Song of Solomon. <laughs> it's beautiful. He loves you. God sees you as his, his child, his beloved. And I feel like maybe we just need to hear that more often or, or say that more often or look in the mirror and say, God loves me. Feels weird to say it. Maybe we need to take a selfie and say, this is God's beloved and post it. Maybe we need to remind ourselves and one another that you might have had a hard morning. You might have had a rough week. You might have had the worst year of your life. But you're God's child, and God loves you. And that might sound so simple, because it is. But it's all here. I, I know I always tell the story, when I was in, in Bible college, we had a chapel on Wednesdays, and I think for three, there's one time where we had three different guest speakers in a row and they all taught on the same scripture. It was bizarre. But this one guy was telling us how he just moved to California. And like any good, you know, young pastor, the first thing he did was go out to the streets and street witness. And he was ready with his apologetics. He'd been studying and he was ready for the hardest arguments. And he talked to the first guy he talked to, he said was a doctor. And the doctor was an atheist. And they went, you know, they went at it. Like he was going to argue this guy into the kingdom of God. And, and he said, finally the guy just got frustrated with me and, and walked away mad. And so he went on to the next person. And then he said within, you know, whatever amount of time it was, he looked over and he saw the doctor sitting on the curb weeping. And then he couldn't believe his eyes because sitting next to the doctor on the curb was his wife. Not the doctor's wife, the pastor's wife. And, and so later on the way home, he was like, what did you say to that guy? He was so hard. He didn't want to hear anything. And she said, I just told him that God loved him. And he started crying like a baby. <laughs> Stuff we need to hear. So in our human nature, in the human condition, somewhere in our cultural adaptations, we've learned to put on a happy face because that gets us somewhere. We've learned to hide behind masks way before COVID. We learned self-preservation by creating an image that made us more likable, or so we thought. And maybe we faked confidence. Maybe we tried to fit in. Maybe we hit our failures and our most embarrassing moments. But for every wall we've built, for every false front, for every lie we've told the world, for every lie we've even told ourselves, we block off what it means to be really loved. Because people can only love what you show them. And if all you show them is some shadow version of yourself, then that's what they'll love. But that's not you. And that's not gospel. That's not good news. The good news is that we are God's children. The good news is that we are God's beloved. 
And we are wrapped up in this agape fest with our Abba Father because of Jesus. So what do we do with this little bit of good news? That in spite of who we think we are, if we think we're the best or we think we're the worst, it doesn't matter because God sees you as his child. And that's how you should see yourself, his beloved. So how do we live knowing that? In 2 Corinthians 5.20, uh, I'm putting this up from the Message Bible. Thank you, Rick. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He is already a friend with you. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this passage in particular. Usually we would hear that we are the ambassadors for Christ. But we live in a a world where maybe representatives is closer to home. Ambassador, it's actually a really good translation. But, you know, you rep your city, you rep your brand, you rep your company. (laughs) We know what it means to be a, a representative. You show the watching world what God is like by the life you live. You enter into his work of what? Making things right, the scripture says. We enter into God's work of making things right or reconciliation. Dropping the differences, uniting people to grow the work and influence of the kingdom right here and right now. So look, Abba's children, look, Abba's beloved The world needs you. Each one. No more playing small. You were made in the image of a great God. You were made in the image of Abba Petir. You are a light bearer in a dark time. We have been made for these times. And my hope is, as simple as this is, We recognize our identity, that we belong to Jesus, and we are loved in Jesus. And this is is the work of the kingdom, to unite people, to bring them together, to love them, to show them that they are loved in the same way. And we can only do that through our lives. How can we show the world what the kingdom of God looks like without being a reconciler, without loving people? So let's do that. Let's let's be the reconcilers. Let's be the peacemakers. Let's take our place as God's children. Be the ambassadors of a better kingdom, the representatives of Jesus. This is how I think 
we're called to live. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us that is at once enormous. For the scripture tells us that you so love the world. And it's still personal in that I know that you love me. And so for anyone who is here, for anyone who is watching, for anyone who has ever felt unlovable, break through and remind us simple truth. You are love. You love us. And our our opportunity is to work with you and love the world around us the way you do. Help us, Father. We're going to need it. Help us to get rid of the fake that comes between us. Help us to show who we really are, warts and all, and help us to be real before you. So we love you, our Abba Father. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.